the one country, two systems principle. You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Morning from me, Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong at the start of a new business week, Monday the 23rd of May. Welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. China has cut a key lending rate by the most on record to boost the slumping economy. The five-year loan prime rate, which is linked to household mortgage rates, was cut from 4.6% to 4.45%. It's the first reduction since it was lowered by five basis points on January the 1st and the biggest cut since the rate was first introduced in 2018. Shanghai on Sunday logged another 622 new local coronavirus infections, the lowest number since March the 20th. There were no new community infections for the second day in a row, and the city is entering its seventh week of lockdowns with some 560,000 residents. That's about 2.2% of the city's 25 million residents still living in high-risk lockdown zones, which have been totally sealed off. Last week, city officials announced a phase plan to return businesses and life to normal by late June. On Friday, Shanghai's local statistics bureau reported the city's industrial output plunged 61.6% year-on-year in April and consumer spending tumbled 46.3%. Core inflation in Japan rose at the fastest pace in seven years in April. The The core consumer price index, which doesn't include volatile food prices, rose 2.1% in April from a year earlier, above the Bank of Japan's 2% inflation target. The increase was driven by surging energy prices and the weaker yen. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Sam Favreau of Mandarin Capital and Louis Coyce from S&P Global Ratings. With a view from mainland China is Shanghai-based independence economist Andy Scher. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. U.S. shares fell for the seventh straight week with the S&P 500 falling into a bear market on Friday before a late afternoon rally dragged the benchmark index back to unchanged on the day. The S&P 500 finished at 3,901 after being down as much as 2.3%. It was down 3% for the week and down for the seventh straight week. That's its longest losing streak since March 2001. And the index is down 18.7% now from its January high. The Dow recovered from losses of over 600 points at the low of the day to close nine points higher at 31,262. The Dow is down for eight consecutive weeks. That's its longest losing streak since May 1923, near the height of the Great Depression. The Nasdaq Composite fell a third of a percent to 11,355. And for the week, the tech heavy index is down 3.8% and 29% lower than its record high reached in November 2021. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index closed 0.7% higher, having been up as much as 1.8% earlier. 
Richemont slumped over 13% after the Swiss watch and jewellery maker reported operating profit for the full year that missed forecasts. And its chairman, Johan Rupert, said China is going to take an economic blow. And he warned that the Chinese economy will suffer for longer than people think. As a result, other luxury, luxury stocks in Europe also fell. The UK's FTSE 100 rose 1.2% on the day, but was down 0.4% for the week. And Chinese shares surged after Beijing cut the five-year loan prime rate to stimulate the housing market. The Hang Seng Index rose 597 points, or 3%, to 20,717. The Hang Seng Tech Index surged 4.7%. And on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite jumped 1.6% to 3,147. The latest quarterly review by Hang Seng Index's company has increased the number of companies in the benchmark Hang Seng Index from 66 to 69, but missed out on the goal of expanding the gauge to 80 constituents by mid-2022. China's leading chip maker, SMIC, shipping firm Orient Overseas, car retailer Zhongsheng Group and aluminium manufacturer China Hongqiao Group will join the benchmark from June the 13th. Apple component supplier AAC Technologies will be removed. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil was up 1% last week and this morning it's at $113.06 a barrel. Gold had a good week, helped by the weaker dollar rising 2%. It's at $1,846 an ounce this morning. And the US 10-year Treasury bond yield fell five basis points on Friday to 2.79%. That's the lowest close uh, in a month. And in the currency markets, the US dollar index suffered its first weekly drop in eight weeks and the biggest weekly drop since the US election in November 2020. The euro this morning is at $1.05 and three quarter cents. Bucks trading at 127.9 Japanese yen. Sterling rose almost 2% last week to $1.25 and nine Hong Kong dollars and 82 cents. And offshore Chinese yuan saw its biggest weekly gain since 2017, it's at 6.7 against the dollar this morning. And Bitcoin ended Friday's session 3.5% lower. This morning, it's at $30,300. And around Asian stock markets this morning, we're starting off the new week on a firm note. Uh, the ASX 200 in Australia is up a third of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has risen about 0.8% um, at the open. Uh, over in South Korea, the Cosby is up about 0.2%. And uh, futures markets pointing to a pretty well a flat open for the Hang Seng later on this morning. Eight oh nine and a half, and over in our Queensway studio, we have with us this morning Louis Coyce, Chief Asia Economist at S and P Global Ratings. Morning to you, Louis. Morning, Peter. And also with us is Sam Favre, Chief Executive Officer at Mandarin Capital. Welcome back, Sam. Morning, Peter. Um, China's cut a key lending rate by the most on record. The five-year loan prime rate, which is linked to household mortgages, was cut from 4.6 to 4.45%. It's the first reduction since it was lowered by five basis points on January the 1st and the biggest cut since the rate was first introduced in 2019. The easing is more than the market expected. And the cut comes after data last week showed China's new home prices fell year on year in April for the first time in six years. Uh, Louis, what's your assessment of this? And also, do you think this is a signal maybe that the, the Chinese government is on a path of further easing? 
Well, I mean, I know, Peter, I liked how you put it. You said it was the largest cut on record, but of course it's still a pretty modest cut compared to the pain that is being inflicted on the Chinese housing markets. I mean, we're looking at very, very weak numbers in terms of not just on the price front, but also on the sales and housing starts front. So it, you know, it's, it's, it's a step in the direction of support, but it is to be honest, relatively modest, and that is true still overall, that the, 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 the policy support that has been rolled out um, is relatively modest compared to the pain that is, uh, you know, that, is, that is being felt in the economy. Do you, do you think it's going to be enough to revive sales in the property market and boost long-term demand for homes? Well, I mean, not while people uh, cannot visit houses and so it's like mm. basically n n not while the uh, covid related restrictions and lockdowns are going on more generally i mean the 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 the, the prospects for the housing market have you know have have become more more modest more somber and s small steps like this in will probably not shift the dial dramatically mm. how, how big a drag is it on the economy overall the the property markets well, it's large, right? It's about, in our assessment, it's about one-fourth of the mm -hmm. economy. If you add, say, you know, the steel factories that are producing steel for houses as opposed to cars, if you add those kind of things, it's about one-quarter. So it, it's, its weakness has definitely been a, an, a contributor to the overall economic weakness that we've seen in the last year. Um, Sam, what, what do you make of this? What's your assessment? Well, I think it's a small step for supporting the market, but uh, the overall situation among the solution is really monetary because I think what you're seeing is a loss of confidence on that market. You have a massive supply and demand shock with those lockdowns. So I would say in a normal, a normal uh, market situation, it would feed through the economy. But I always said, if you cannot visit or if suddenly you are concerned that you're going to be locked down for two months and you're going to lose your job, that's not going to really help to, uh, to uh, support the uh, housing market. So obviously they have to do something, but unless there is a fundamental change on the way they want to deal with the uh, COVID situation, I would think the monetary uh, easing is going to have limited effect on the overall situation. And, and the problem is the property sector still faces other headwinds, doesn't it? It's got quite stringent regulations still, which is also crimping demand. Yeah, there's, uh, there's this. There's been a massive inflation of the sector, so arguably you can, uh, you know, you can wonder if there's been a some 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 bubble situation in the in the market for the last ten years. So, and eventually you will also have a shrinking population, which will cause potentially a demand issue on the on the sector. So that's all long-term challenges which will have to be addressed. And is is the government here really saying that um, while it doesn't want to see the, the property market collapse, maybe some people will say it has already, but nevertheless, the property sector isn't going to become the main growth engine for China again, is it? I think that's right. I mean, I think we have seen a change, uh, you know, for the, for the last year or so since especially that tightening of the financial regulation, the regulation of financing to property developers with the three uh, red line system. I think there has been a recognition by the government that housing, the housing sector commands too large a share of the economy and needs to shrink in relative terms. So over the coming 10 years, we will not see housing you know, increase as much as, as the overall economy. And I think that they have 
also because of that being you know very disciplined if you want like very very uh, uh, constrained in their uh, stimulus measures they don't want to boost up a market that that they know cannot be the source for China's growth in the coming decade. Why did they leave the one-year loan prime rate on hold? I would have thought they had a good opportunity there to send out a signal by, by cutting that as well. Yeah, it's hard to say. There seems to be still quite a bit of a reluctance among many in Beijing to really um, ease overall uh, uh, you know overall macro policy i think there is also that recognition that look uh, as both of us said if people cannot you know transact and spend and do things uh, then it's not much there's not much point trying to pump money into the economy we have seen an overall monetary easing but the credit numbers for april were remarkably weak and i think mm -hmm. that is also recognized by policymakers we, we we first need to see an opening up of the economy then perhaps it makes more sense to see more stimulus measures Sam, do you think these lockdowns that we're seeing, although there's talk about um, maybe pulling back a bit on them in Shanghai, when you talk to people on the ground there, um, a lot of them are saying there aren't much sign of, of that happening. There's talk about it, but nevertheless, there's still enormous restrictions there. Is this doing permanent damage to the economy? Because we're seeing all sorts of warnings from chambers of commerce uh, up in China that, you know, that firms are reducing their investments. And we've had a report that Apple um, is looking at boosting production now outside of China. Um, is there going to be permanent damage to the economy? I think you have uh, three levels of damages. Obviously, you have the short-term ones, which is uh, the impact of the lockdown itself. Then, more also quite importantly, you have the loss of confidence from the, um, some of the, uh, the workforce in the, on the mainland. And then, of course, you have all the, uh, I would say, the... Uh, international companies uh, which have to evaluate the constraints and uh, their supply chains and you know, it's been ongoing for two to three years now so they have time to now adjust the supply chain and knowing there has been no indication of relaxation of these constraints at some point they need to make a decision so I think it's pretty clear that if you shut down a production base for two months uh, a lot of companies will look at alternate solutions and not only should they, they, they should, that's their duty for, to their shareholders to look at alternate solutions to make sure that uh, they are not um, constrained by that anymore. So yes, in a nutshell, yes, I think there will be a very, very deep permanent damage because of that. Do, do you think they'll come back? I mean, the American Chamber of Commerce says uh, that um, that something like um, half of all their res the respondents had already delayed or decreased their investments in China. But the problem is, it's not easy outside of China to find a population that sort of size and, and with those t sort of skills. It's not so easy to replace, is it? I think you will start seeing some regionalization of the supply chain. So it not, might not be that concentrated in one place, but um, you know, we have seen some development in Southeast Asia. We are seeing some growth in the Middle East. Actually, if you look at uh, the Dubai area as a hub, it's been growing very, very steadily for the last, uh, last year or so. We are seeing some growth in, um, in uh, South and Latin America. So I think we have seen a complete globalization for the last 30 to 40 years and that trend might come to a stop because of this constraint of COVID that people realize that you know maybe we have to readjust something so I think this is a long-term movement which has started and you will see some relocalizations. Re Louis, Louis what are your thoughts do you think there has been some permanent damage done to the economy or could be done um, if these lockdowns go on for much longer? I'm afraid so you know things processes like changes in supply chains 
don't happen overnight. We saw that, I mean, when, uh, when many Western politicians two and a half years ago called for you know, decoupling from China uh, during COVID, we didn't really see a lot happening. And actually, we saw a little bit of the reverse because China was quite good in uh, supplying products to the rest of the world. But unfortunately, now the other way around. Um, I agree with with Sam. This, you know, these uh, the, the diminishing of China's global market share in in supply chains and, and and in trade more generally won't happen overnight. And it is not a digital decision, all or nothing. But I do think that these these effects will eat on on China's position as as increasing numbers of companies make decisions on where to place their next round of investments. I mean, presumably companies are saying to themselves, we've got to hedge our bets a bit now, given what we've seen over the last couple of years and this almost this trend now towards deglobalization that we can't have all our eggs in one basket, all our supply chains going through China. We've got to diversify a bit more. Yeah, that's an aspect, definitely. Uh, but, but, but you know, th- that has that has been a factor, right, for already a few years. I think th- the change is really people's realization that we have a a COVID regime in China that is very different from the rest of the world. The rest of the world is opening up. We don't really have an obvious X. We, we there's not a clear vis- visibility on when we if, if we knew that this was only last for two more months I think then that that, that would that would help but the fact that we don't know that is going to be yeah, uh, costing China projects I think it goes even beyond a bit of COVID I think for the last 20 years you had optimization of the supply chain and then suddenly they realized okay what happens today is a shock to the system it happens to be COVID but it could be anything else and I think there's been you know awareness that we have to diversify because we're just too dependent. And when something happens, then, you know, the whole music stops and we can't have that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's necessarily China. I don't think it's necessarily COVID. It's just a situation which has gone too far in terms of optimization and streamlining the whole process. And there's, you know, from, a, from that perspective, there needs to be some adjustments. Let me ask you both about Hong Kong. We had the jobless numbers at the end of last week. Uh, The jobless rate has risen to a 10-month high of 5.4% in the February to April period. That's up from 5% in the January to March period. More than 206,000 people are now out of work. Financial Secretary Paul Chan over the weekend was telling us uh, to be more optimistic about the Hong Kong economy. He was saying, you know, really, um, this data doesn't reflect the current situation. He's detecting a big improvement now in the economy, people starting to dine out more. Is he right? Are are we we wrong to be pessimistic about Hong Kong? Maybe the, the bottom is in now? I think he has a point. I mean, I remember I... When I walked around in Hong Kong six weeks ago or two months ago, you know, I, I, I felt the, the large decline in GDP that was later reported for the first quarter. I think I now also feel the pickup. Uh, so, yeah, I think it, the domestic side of the economy uh, is definitely, you know, in a, uh, on, on a cyclical upturn. Of course, we still face, you know, the, the external issue and we still have, you know, big questions to be asked in terms of the the position of Hong Kong as an international hub but I think the, interne- the I think the domestic economy must be on a rebound at the moment are you detecting a, a pickup Sam well yeah if you look at traffic and they are trying to go to restaurants it's pretty clear mm-hmm. there has been an uptake now I would think that uh, from a I agree from a cyclical perspective 
uh, we are going to have an upturn at least for the next three months. And again, from a medium term, long term perspective, we have to f we have to solve the you know the problems that Hong Kong is facing, which is at the moment some brain drain people living. Uh, those closed borders and making Hong Kong attractive again for Chinese and international investments. Uh, companies need to invest here and start hiring again. So getting the borders open is going to be the, the priority for the incoming government. Yeah, and uh, international and Chinese. If you want, want to keep Hong Kong as a bridge between the two, the two sides need to be open. Uh, but uh, the, only, the only one which we can control at this stage is the uh, international borders. So if we can't get the borders with China open, should we just move ahead and open the international borders anyway, do you think? That would be my uh, natural uh, feeling, that's because that one you can control, and we need the two sides. So we might as well start with one side, get the, uh, get the flow back going, and hopefully with the new administration we have uh, enough credibility that we can manage the flow of international travellers and deal with the situation and find a common solution to reopen the, the mainland border as well. Okay, well, thank you both very much. Good to talk to you. You heard there Sam Favreau, Chief Executive Officer at Mandarin Capital, and also Louis Kois, who's Chief Asia Economist at S&P Global Ratings. 5, 6, 7 a.m. Radio 3. Hello, this is Uncle Ray. To fight COVID-19, we need to pay attention to our personal hygiene and follow the social distancing protocol. And of course, getting the COVID-19 vaccine is the best way to protect yourself and your loved ones. We will fight this together. Times 8.24. On the phone from Shanghai is independent economist Andy Sher. Morning, Andy. Uh, good morning, Peter. So tell me, what is the situation like now up in Shanghai? Are you still uh, seeing lockdowns or are you seeing signs of restrictions being eased and life returning back to normal? Well, in the city, it's still locked down. I, I think that uh, uh, <clears throat> the government is loosening up a little bit in, in, uh, in the suburban areas, in some areas. Mainly because they want uh, they want to demonstrate that uh, uh, their lockdown is uh, their unwinding lockdown, but uh, uh, no change inside of the city. So in practice, because we're hearing a lot of talk about the city government starting in phases uh, to to get life back to normal and hopefully having everything back to normal um, by the end of June, is there any sign at all of that happening? No, no, it is not. I think that the, the government is worried about uh, the confidence uh, problem. And, uh, and uh, so they're talking up uh, uh, the, the, the market, uh, mainly uh, to talk about uh, it's unwinding, the lockdown is unwinding, and also the government is stimulating the economy. Both are not very likely uh, when, uh, as long as zero COVID is around. It's mm. because they're basically, I think the government officials in Shanghai are very scared, uh, and they know that it could come back if you if you if you uh, if you like uh, loosen up. So uh, and you know what what will happen to you if you if something if it comes back. So uh, so it, it, I think the government is very very reluctant to do anything. 
And and what does this mean then being under lockdown? Does it mean you just can't leave your apartment building or your compound at all? Or is there limited movements allowed? What what does it mean for you sort of personally up there in Shanghai? No, our our uh, uh, this uh, compound has been uh, uh, has been te- uh, no no case for over one one month. Uh, and uh, they still uh, test. Uh, people can can go downstairs, but they cannot go out. So if there has been a recently uh, positive case, uh, uh, then you cannot go uh, go out. Uh, uh, you have to be. You have to stay inside uh, your, right. your your apartment. But the uh, the issue is that uh, they're still testing us. Uh, uh, in the past, every other day. Now, they are from starting from today, every day for the next three days. So, how many tests it's hard have to you understand, had? How, how it's many? hard to understand that if you have these people from outside to come to do the, te- the, 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 the testing, uh, if there's a virus showing up again, it's them bringing the virus, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's, it's very hard to understand what's going on. So that even though you haven't had a positive case for one month, you still can't leave your compound. Yeah, over one month. Oh I, I, I think that, the, and it's still testing, testing. And and if there is another resurgence in uh, in in COVID in the in the city, there was worries uh, last week because there were some cases discovered outside of quarantine. Is there an, if there is another resurgence, are the, are the authorities in Shanghai prepared to go through this again and and lock down the city completely? Oh yeah, I think a Chinese political system is uh, you obey, they obey, they obey, you obey the person above you. You try to manage the people below you. So that's uh, kind of uh, uh, the, the system. So as long as the, the 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 policy at the top doesn't change, I think that uh, what's what do you see on the ground is not going to change. Mm. And so, what has been the impact on the economy? Well, in the last two months, we have seen mostly numbers uh, being halved, uh, like uh, uh, for uh, the fiscal revenue, even for cities that are not like Shanghai, uh, total lockdown. But, uh, you know, uh, it's marketed as not a total lockdown. A lot of cities uh, have seen uh, revenue down 50, uh, about about a half. So obviously, auto and property are all down uh, half, uh, over half. So uh, and uh, and the service sector is is pretty much dead because people can go cannot go out to 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 consume, and the the uh, the household deposits are falling because the um, a lot of people have no income, so mm. they're spending the money they have. So this uh, we don't know how long it's going to last, uh, but uh, you know the government is trying to boost confidence, and uh, the way to do it is to have some positive vi- uh, uh, spins talking about a stimulus. But how are you going to stimulate the economy when people are locked up? Mm. It's, 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 it's really funny. You know? why, why are you talking like that? Right? So, but uh, but uh, they think it's, it works. You know? So, uh, so it's, it's still uh, about the psychology. So this loan prime rate cuts that we saw on Friday in the, in the five-year rates linked to mortgages, if people still can't go out and look at houses, visit houses, it's not going to have an effect. And also the the measure is really small, is fifteen basis points. For 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 market is down fifty percent. 
So uh, no, uh, 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 you know that this is mainly for for propaganda purpose. It's not really for intended to 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 work on its own. It's really about how to change the psychology. But when people are locked up, you cannot really change the psychology. You know. Mm. And, and we're hearing all sorts of um, reports from the various chambers of commerce, like the American Chamber of Commerce, the European Chamber of Commerce up in China, that their firms are reducing investments, moving people out, uh, moving some businesses out of the city. Is there a risk that permanent damage is going to be done to the economy if they don't return? Yeah, it is possible. Uh, I think that the Trump's trade war uh, really didn't do that much uh, on, on, de- uh, on decoupling. And uh, and uh, the first wave of uh, of uh, uh, COVID, uh, you know, uh, China sh- shut down for a while, but a business came back. Uh, but this time we don't know. But if you, uh, they, anyway, people need to give up at some point. If you lock up for a couple of years, you cannot imagine people don't uh, uh, will stick around, right? So uh, so uh, is there? There's everyone has a threshold. Okay, Andy. Well, thank you very much. Good to talk to you. That's um, independent economist Andy Sher up in Shanghai. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. Final look at the markets for this morning in Australia. The SX200 is up about 0.2%. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan is rallied 1%. Not long after the open, the Cosby uh, in South Korea is up about half a percent. Looks like a flat open for the Hang Seng later on this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at eight o'clock for Money Talk. Coming up after the news, COVID updates with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast: cloudy with a few showers. The maximum temperature will be around 26 degrees and a few showers. In the next few days, it's 23 degrees right now, 94% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.32, here's Andy Shorsky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Foreign Minister Wang Yi has strongly criticized America's Indo-Pacific strategy, accusing Washington of attempting to create division, incite confrontation, and undermine peace. State media reported that Mr. Wang said the strategy would inevitably fail. He made the comments as U.S. President Joe Biden continues his visit to Asia and ahead of talks between the so-called Quad Group. Mr. Biden and the leaders of Japan and India will be joined by the incoming Australian Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, who will fly into Tokyo after taking office today. He said the summit would be a chance to show how his government will take a different approach. Obviously, the Quad Leaders meeting is an absolute priority for Australia, and it, is, it enables us to send a message to the world uh, that there is a change of government, uh, there will be some changes in policy, particularly with regard to climate change and our engagement uh, with the world uh, on those issues. The former chief executive, C.Y. Leung, says the government needs to strengthen patriotic groups in universities and the media. He said that despite the national security law and an improved electoral system, patriots can't assume the job is done. During an online forum, Mr. Leung said the groups are important to instill patriotism among young people. We have to build up the ideological and organizing powers of patriotic groups. Those who govern have to break barriers with these groups, make them stronger. This includes the grooming of such groups in universities. In education, in media, 
we have to raise the ability of patriotic groups in these important aspects in society. Of course, we also need to form consensus and widely promote the one country, two systems principle. Health officials reported 237 new COVID-19 cases yesterday. 25 were imported. Meanwhile, the American Club in Central is one of 48 premises on the daily list of places subject to mandatory testing. A fund management company in the same building, to Exchange Square, is also listed. And in football, Manchester City have staged a thrilling comeback to win the English Premier League. On the final day of the season, the defending champions scored a flurry of late goals to beat Aston Villa 3-2. It feels like City suddenly have got momentum. Pep Guardiola was on the pitch. He had to be reminded that he had to step off it. De Bruyne into the area on the right. Shoots across! It's in! The result sparked celebrations from a raucous home crowd. At the bottom of the table, Burnley were relegated. The news from RTHK.